Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. Hey everyone, I'm happy you're listening to the Dulles Church Podcast. Welcome. You're listening during our three-week cinema series during the month of May. And for copyright reasons, we can't post the audio of each movie clip. So during these messages, you'll hear me set up the various movie scenes, and then immediately I'll continue teaching in the message as we skip each, each movie scene. So we encourage you to watch the movie each week. So you'll understand the movie as our metaphor or parable. I'm so happy you're listening along. All right, you, you may not have ever been told this. Maybe you have. I don't know if you've read this or understand it, but when you look at world religions, I, I struggle to call Jesus a religion because I believe he came to be experienced. And he really came to lead us to an actual literal experience that is an experience of renewal, where our whole world will be renewed by him someday. But in the context of world religions, Jesus is the only world religion that is centered around and presented by story. No other religion does this. All other religions are presented by teachings related to expectations or rules. Jesus is entirely presented to us as a story, and he is a storyteller. And I just, I, I, I think it's fascinating that not only is he a master storyteller, but he is the story. We've come to believe, a lot of us, most of us have come to believe that he is actually the, the great story. And so in his storytelling, he's not just trying to be uh, cute or use some kind of new modern technique he is desperately trying to help us understand the reality of his kingdom. And so when he's presenting the kingdom, and we're told this is why he came. He came to bring the reality of God's kingdom to our broken world. As he's presenting the kingdom, you know, the, the, what belongs to the king, the possessions of the king, the people of a king, the presence of a king. These are the things that make up what a kingdom is. He's talking about very real but invisible Elements of God's kingdom. It's often hard to grasp when you grow up in a broken world like we do. Like, how, how does this work? He's talking about loving our enemy. He would often use this technique that we know as parable, where he would create a short story, a fictionalized short story, that is actually from our natural world around us, from the visible. He would talk about a farmer scattering seeds, or he would talk about a woman who lost her her most precious coin, or would talk about a tree that grew to be super big with so much fruit, but it started as the tiniest little seed. He would relate these real but hard-to-grasp principles, concepts of his kingdom to these very tangible, easy-to-understand pictures that we call parables. And so today we're going to look at Another parable today um, as, uh, in the form of moving pictures from, from a movie. And again, as a reminder, in Matthew 13, Jesus said this. We're, we're told this by Matthew. That Jesus, when talking to crowds and large crowds, he always used parables. He used parables to tell all these things to the crowds. He would not say a thing to them without using a parable. 
So today we're going to look at, <clears throat> from this movie clip, you know, and I watched this movie, Lion, uh, in 2017 when it came out. I mean, I'm fighting back tears during this movie. <laughs> like, like if, if a movie makes me kind of tear up, it's probably going to turn into a cinema series message at some point. Uh, and this just, this just became a picture for me of how easy it is for us to find ourselves lost in life. Just, it's, it, it's easy for us to lose our way and to end up feeling lost in life, even lost in who we are. Just, it, it, it's related to our, our identity. We, we, we're in a world today that's obsessed with talking about identity and finding our identity, and this is something that we can all relate to. If you're human, you actually know what it is, whether you're conscious of it or not, of from time to time feeling lost. So we're going to talk about this today and, and how easy it is to lose our way. And where is God in this? Where is God when we're lost? What is he thinking when we're lost? And, and what is he doing when we feel lost? Because that's, that's an aspect of lostness. We feel like, wow, I don't know my purpose. I don't know my way in this life. And if I felt close to God, I, I wouldn't feel lost. I feel distant from him. So today, as Jesus would often say before a parable, the kingdom of God is like. Today, the kingdom of God is like little Saru, this little boy born in India who is so lost in life and with his own identity, he's desperate, desperate to find home. Um, all right, so let me set up the first clip. <clears throat> Lion received six Academy Award nominations in 2017. It's a true story. The events that you're going to see here, if you're not familiar with the story, happened in central and western India. Uh, it's about little five-year-old Saru, who had an older brother named Gudu and their mom. It was the three of them. They were a very sweet family. They loved each other very much. And Gudu, the older brother, would work to support the family. He would work at night. His job was during the night, and Saru would always battle him battle his older brother wanting to go to work with him. And it was always this, you see this in the very opening of the movie, that they're just always arguing. He wants to go to work at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night with his older brother. And little Saru's just too young. He's too young for this. And one night he wears his brother down and he goes with him late at night to work. And they get separated near a train station. And little Saru is desperately trying to find his brother around this train station and on the platform, and ends up on an empty train looking for his brother, and it's so late, he falls asleep, this is a true story, and wakes up on an empty train that's moving. And after spending an entire day on a moving train, yelling out of the window, help save me, help save me, is how this movie starts. We pick up on day two of a very long train ride. Let's watch. Okay, so, wow, young Saru, after two days on this train, is far from home. He's a thousand miles from home, now in Cal Calcutta. And one of the early tragedies of the story is that, as a little five-year-old, he learns here pretty quickly that he actually doesn't know how to pronounce his hometown. He pronounces his hometown as Ganestale. And we learn as the audience, and he learns pretty quickly here, that there's no such town on the map of India named Ganestali. 
This is part of the early heartbreak of the story. There's an early scene where Saru is now living in the slums of Calcutta. And we get a glimpse into a culture where there are perhaps too many lost children to notice just one. And it brings to mind this picture of what God is facing when he views the plight of humanity. And, you know, I, I even kept, uh, caught myself, you know, wondering, wow, are there too many of us that are lost? Are there too many of us upside down in life? Like, you get to a point as a human, if you accept the reality of our lostness, that uh, you realize, wow, we're all broken, we're all incomplete, we're all lost. Are there too many of us for God to notice just one? Does God have trouble seeing me? Just where I am right now, just lost in my career, or lost in just knowing what my purpose is. So today I want to look at this, this, this clear metaphor. To me, it's such a clear picture, this parable this, uh, of this movie, this story, and how all of us from time to time end up in this position, just questioning the sky like, God, are you there? Can you be known? And for some people in life, it gets so bad that, that they have trouble knowing who they actually are and what home means, what does it mean to have a home or to, to feel like you're at home, and how do we find it? How do we find home? This movie became for me, you know, when I, when I told Amy and the girls, you've got to watch this movie, Lion, and I remember it took a couple months, like, okay, Dad, we'll get to it, and then finally we all watched it, and they were like, wow, man, you're right. It's such a picture of humanity's spiritual condition. Where is home and where exactly is God and how do we get to him? All right, so here's the setup for the next clip we're going to watch. Later that same year, Saru is still five years old. He's been living as an orphan now in Calcutta, and he's adopted by a very sweet couple from Australia. And so <clears throat> Saru is transported from one world into a completely different world. And where we pick up, we see Saru is a college student now, living in Melbourne. And he's developed a friend group. <clears throat> and among his friends are other Indian Australians who, of all things, and this is kind of ironic, thinking about who Saru is and where he's come from, in college, his Indian Australia friends introduce him to Indian food. Let's watch. This is such a powerful scene where life is starting to be fun for him. He's developing friendships. And then he has this, what we would call this trigger moment. And when, when he acknowledges, I'm actually not from Calcutta. I don't know where I'm from. I'm lost. I, I grew up in church and somewhere around 18, 19, 20 years old, I was in this just weird place. I believed God loved me. I did. I, I, I believed he loved the world. But I was struggling to trust that he could actually be known. So I don't know if you can relate to that. This, this, 
you come to the place of believing, I, I believe God is there and I believe he's good and I believe he's good toward me, I think. I believe the story of Jesus, but I'm not sure if I can actually know him. And I started battling this, this sort of scenario of whether God is a thought. Is it just a thought? Do you go to church and you hear about him, or even at home we read about him, and then the sum of our faith is simply a thought? On Monday and Tuesday, we're thinking back on what we read or what we heard. Is that it? Or can God actually be known, like actually experienced, which seems to be clearly what Jesus intends for us? When we read the story of Jesus, he came that we would be known that we would be rescued, that we would experience the reality of God, whatever that meant for me as an 18, 19, 20-year-old. And so I remember one day, I was, I was actually on a mission trip. I was in another country. We were serving this group of people. And one of my youth leaders was there, and I was just, something led to me feeling comfortable to say this out loud, like, man, sometimes I just wonder if God in the life of faith is really just a thought or think back on things we've heard in, in church. And he just, he told me, he said, man, Brad, I, I remember struggling with the same thing. And I almost gave up on the idea of being able to actually know God, to experience him. And then I read, he told me, then I read Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. I would avoid the Old Testament, you know, uh, at that age of my life. It's just the Old Testament seemed old and outdated and not relevant to me. And so he read a portion of Jeremiah to me. This is from Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, so let me, let me pause. The Israelites were called by God, not, not to be God's favorites, but they were God's chosen people group to emulate the character of God to the rest of the world, to, to be God's messengers to the rest of the world. Abraham was told that the father of Israel the father of the Israelites, you and your descendants will be a blessing. The word was actually blessing. You will be this gift to every nation, presenting the reality of who I am to every broken corner of the earth. And the Israelites fail, miserably fail, in this, this calling, this purpose, this mandate of God. And they, they stray. They wander away from God. They decide to do life the way they think life should be done. And so they end up in captivity in this faraway land in Babylon. And God's saying when 70 years are completed, God's actually using their captivity to bring them back to his heart. When 70 years are completed, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Back to this place of good and in that place of blessing where you won't just experience my blessing, you'll live out my blessing. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Now, now, growing up in church, this verse is used a lot. It's kind of a quick fix for people. I used it a lot early in my faith as um, what I'm calling a quick fix for when you're, when you're in trouble or when you're really stressed or you've got anxiety. Uh, you just kind of recite this verse. And it really can be powerful. It should be powerful in your life and to individuals when you understand it in the greater context of what God intends for his people. God's saying to his people, 
who are called to live out his character and his blessing to a broken world, to people who are searching, to, to a world that's lost. We are to actually be people who help others find rescue. When we understand that's the, 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 the context here, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Now, here's the verse that my youth leader really stressed to me that years earlier when he was almost ready to give up. He was kind of on the brink of like, well, I guess this is just religion, and I'll go to church when I can. He read this verse, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. This became a climatic moment in my life, and that sounds dramatic, but it really is. It's one of the big moments of my life. In another country, serving a group of people, really doing that genuinely, but just not feeling very connected to God. And talking to my youth leader about this, and he reads this, Jeremiah 29, 13, where God says to us as people, you will be found by me when you search for me with your whole heart. And finally, I had this sort of shift that now I have an action step. Now I have this point of action with God, rather than just listening in church and then just trying to just, just allowing it all to be a thought. Now I had something to do. And if this were true, so did God. God now has a point of action toward me. I didn't need to worry about feeling God anymore. That's what I was trying to do. That's what faith was to me until this point, was I'm trying to feel God. I'm trying to feel what my purpose is. Now, all I needed to worry about was seeking after God, searching for him with my whole heart. It doesn't say perfectly. It says, search for him with your whole heart. And so my youth leader told me, he tried this years earlier. He said, I just tried it. I put all the pressure on God. All right, God, I'm going to search for you in my relationships, in my dreams, with creativity, and we'll see. It's up to you. And God became so real to him. And he was like, Brad, it's just amazing. I have conversations. And I'm like, wait a minute. Did you know? I'm, how, how, why, how are we talking about this? It just kept happening. Just amazing conversations and friendships that were brought into his life. And opportunities to make a difference in the life of somebody. that He didn't even plan it. He's just seeing God become real in his everyday life. And he linked it. The link was this. Wow, I began searching for God. With his whole heart. And I started recognizing this wasn't just in Jeremiah 29, 13. This is a phrase all throughout scripture. It's repeated many times. You will find me, God says to us, when you search for me with your whole heart. I'm like, wow, here it is in Exodus. Wow, it's in the New Testament. This is a, a ubiquitous call of God throughout the scriptures. And so something in my soul trusted it. And I did it as best as I could as a 20-year-old. I just did it. I started like, trying to align every part of my life, not living perfectly. My goal wasn't I'm going to try to be perfect. My goal was I'm going to try to find God. And every day and every part of my life, I'm going to make my life about searching for him, finding him. And his promise to me, if it's true, is I'll find him. He will ensure, 
he will be sure that I find him. The problem that I discovered kind of soon in this whole search is that I kept going back to this. I didn't understand why God needed to be found in the first place. If he loved me so much and wanted to be close to me, why did he seem to be hiding? Or why did he have to be searched for? I mean, he's God. If he's powerful and he wants us to know him, you know, I, I was tempted to kind of see this as a game. Like, is this some kind of like ritual? God's hiding and he's testing us and we have to kind of search for him. And as I studied the people of God, the Israelites, leading up to the story of Jeremiah, when I really understood the context, I realized, wow, they're lost. They're not just lost, they left God. When God calls out to the people in in Jeremiah, search for me with your whole heart and you'll find me, they weren't just randomly lost, they had wandered off from God. They had left him. They chose their own selfish way, their own way of doing life. They decided how culture really should work. And we say this regularly here at Dulles. We talk about this often. It's one of our core beliefs. We're in the state of affairs that we are in this world. We talk about natural disasters and we talk about crisis in the news and everything's bad news and there's just always one devastating thing after another and there's division, and we can't trust politics, and we, it, it, it just spirals us. I mean, we live in this generation of anxiety today, and it's all rooted in the fact that our world is broken. Humans are broken. And another way to say it is that we're, we're lost, and we didn't just sort of show up on planet Earth lost, or God lost track of us. We actually left him. This might be hard for you to hear. You know, coming to church, we want to be encouraged. We've had long weeks. We're having stress at work. We have family tension. There's relationship problems. And when we come to church, we just want to be encouraged. And yet a reality that we're going to face here at Dulles, and we're going to be honest about it, is that this is the state of humanity. It's true of every one of us. This is a constant message through the story of God. Deep into the New Testament that we have strayed from him, we've chosen our own way, we took control, we tried to take control, and we've wandered from God. And maybe you're like Saru, and you didn't intend to get lost. Or maybe your story is you've been, you've been more defiant, just determined to live life your way. And you're the type that calls out to God when you're in crisis. Now, I don't know what else to do, so I guess I'll turn to God. Maybe, maybe that's your story. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you just sort of like you're heartbroken and you don't know how you got lost. You didn't really mean to walk away from God or if you just sort of defiantly walked away from him. Our greatest spiritual struggle, I believe, is coming to terms with the fact that we're lost. And home is God. And that, that, that can be such a cliche, but I've come to believe, and it's certainly what Scripture teaches us, that home is the presence of God, his activity in our lives, his kingdom coming close to us in Jesus, but us allowing ourselves 
us searching with our whole hearts for his kingdom, us moving toward his presence, and the beauty of God and his purpose for our lives, his purpose for your life is home for you. You will never find a settled joy outside of centering your life around God's plan for you. His creativity. We were made in the image of God. We are creators. We create. Andrew talked about this in our, our before church, what we call all call, uh, last Sunday. We are made in the image of the creator. You, you may not feel very creative like an inventor, but we create in relationships. We create opportunities for hope when we approach somebody who's hurting. We actually create hope and life where life seems bleak for someone or is depressing. And when we make our lives about what God wants to do, how he wants to use us, we find that this is home. This is what we've been searching for. I said deep into the New Testament, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, all humans are fallen We've all fallen short of God's glory. God's glory is like that, that, the perfect substance of who God is. We were made for that. We were made to live out his character, his creativity, his love, hope lived out in us to others. This is what you were designed for. This is home, but we're all fallen from this. We've, we've all fallen miserably short of this because of our selfish choosing. Fallen doesn't mean that you're bad. Fallen means you're diminished far beneath the standard of God. Fallen means that we're spiritually broken because of our distance from him. Not distance he's created, distance we've created. We're going to watch another clip here from the movie. Now, when it fully hits Saru... You know, at the age, as a college student now, that as a five-year-old, he had a family. It's, it, it's, for the first time, he's, he's struggling with the idea that he's not the only one searching. He, his mom, who he loved dearly, and they were such a sweet family, she's probably been worried sick and searching for him. And this is kind of, he's realizing this as a young adult. Like, wow, she's probably been searching for me. And with all the just pain, the turmoil that he's been in, not knowing who he is, complete lost in his identity, he now starts to feel guilty toward his adoptive parents. He believes that the adoption has just altered their whole lives and what they should have done and what their lives should have been about. Uh, he feels that he on top of everything else, has prevented his adoptive family from having their own family. Now, this is a, kind of a hard to hear. It's a very quiet scene, so we've subtitled this. Uh, this is our shortest clip. Let's watch. And so into my notes went the question, what does family really mean? What defines us the most? Is it our blood and our DNA and our memories? Or is it our relationships and the choices we make? I'm going to read here uh, just from this passionate point that I, I wrote, you know, after watching this. This is where Saru realizes what family actually is. He was chosen. And he's deeply loved. 
His problem is, is not that he doesn't have a family or that he isn't loved. His problem is the spiritual reality that every human being is dealing with when it comes to us and God. We were not orphaned by our God, but we wandered away from home and have a loving creator dad desperately searching for us. And this is what begins to haunt him is I have a mom who may still be alive in India who has been searching for me every day. And I wandered away from her. He didn't intend to. You didn't intend to get spiritually lost. I know most of you in this room. I don't think you woke up one morning and just said to the sky, you know what, God? It's been nice. I'm going to live life my way. We, I think most of us, our story is, we just wake up and realize, I don't feel close to God. And it takes life circumstances and it takes, I think, experiences and moments like this that we're having this morning for the truth and the voice of God to settle in on us that, wow, I've wandered from him. I have tried to take control. I have tried to live life my own way. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes this, for, for the Father chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world to be made holy and blameless in his sight. Holy means to be made whole. It, if, if you read this to be made holy and you picture like a, a church robe or some kind of dress or carrying a big Bible around, that is not what this word means. This word to be made holy in Jesus. Before the creation of the world, the Father chose you to be holy means to be made whole, to be whole in your relationships, in your friendships, the way you breathe life into this world. Whole as a person of laughter. The Father chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world to be made holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he chose us ahead of time to be adopted as his son through Jesus Christ, according to his good pleasure and will. I still think adoption is one of the most beautiful pictures of earth, on, on, on earth that we have of God. It's like such a picture of the story of Jesus and the intent of our Father to come rescue us and to invite us home. Many are most orphans in this world do not choose to be familyless or to be lost. What's different about our spiritual story in the story of God is what this picture of, uh, of Saru shows us. We got ourselves lost. It doesn't make you a bad person that you wandered away from God, your father. But it does mean that you're broken. It does mean that you're not whole, apart from him. Detached, lost from him. We orphaned ourselves by choosing our own life, our own way, so much so that the Apostle Paul describes adoption as what God does to get us back. Back into his family. And Jesus pays the price. He's the payment for our adoption. Okay, the fourth, the fourth scene, we're watching five this morning. The fourth is, um, the best way to set this up is two of... Saru's college friends introduce him. This is kind of funny to us now, as much as technology's advanced. But um, when this story unfolded, Google Earth was this brand new thing, and two of his college friends introduce him to Google Earth. And Saru just becomes obsessed. Now he's thinking so much about the mom that he left, that he wandered away from, 
And Google Earth becomes the symbol. It really becomes a symbol in the story of his passion to find home. Finances and job and impressing others and happiness are not Saru's priority. His singular passion is searching for and finding. And we, we, we read this in Jeremiah 29. You'll find me when you search for me with your whole heart. His passion is to find home. Let's watch this next scene. It's a lot of thumbnails. And he's still searching for Genestale, the town that he knows doesn't exist. He's known it for years. He's been following this, this line on Google Earth now of a possible train line. And it almost seems at this point that he's just more lost than ever. He just keeps going deeper into his lostness, like, man, India's so big. My honest thought at this point in the scene, the first time I saw this movie, was Google Earth is really cool. That was my first thought. And, man, technology can just do some really cool things. I've played with Google Earth, you know, countless hours. I think it really is hours. And the picture that Google Earth became to me of Jesus it's this free tool. It's this free gift, always accessible, given Saru to help him search with his whole passion, his whole heart, to find home. My favorite two chapters in Scripture are Luke 14 and Luke 15. And I have read them two or three times to you over the past year, and we'll probably do that, you know, maybe each year. I would imagine. Luke 15 begins. Now the tax collectors, the religious um, leaders just can't stand the tax collectors and they look down on them. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Not what you would expect. In this unfolding story of religion, it's the tax collectors, the cheaters, the financial cheaters of the day and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the Old Testament law are muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And it's their constant refrain. He can't possibly be from God. How can this man claim to be the Messiah or be God here in the flesh when the people that are almost always around him are outsiders and marginalized people and unclean people? So Jesus tells them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99? Now, we, we realize here God doesn't actually lose his sheep. His sheep wander off. And that's what's implied in this story. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner, one broken person, lost in their selfishness, who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. God is actually searching for us. He's not hiding and has created this sort of obstacle course like, let's see how hard they want to find me. He's actually searching for us, so much so that he sent Jesus. 
into our mess, into our hurt, into our pain. He would experience our pain. This is how desperate God is to find us. But we have to, in our wholehearted searching for him, we have to come to terms with the fact that we're lost and we wandered away from him. And when we search for God with our whole heart, when we say, I'm no longer going to make it the purpose of my life, my career, or the, money, or the security of my retirement, or feeling secure in the relationships or friendships that I have, when my security, when my definition, my identity is in knowing the purpose of God for my life, this is when he begins to just his reality unfold in front of us. And God's ready to celebrate. He's not going to beat us up and, what were you thinking? Why were you away from me so long? Story after story after story in Luke 15 is he throws a party to celebrate that we've been found. Verse 8, he goes into parable number 2. Or suppose a woman has lost 10 silver coins, or I'm sorry, has Ten silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? She could be content. This parable is of God's heart. He could be content that he has a lot of children close to him. No, losing just one. Is this where the principal calls us to the office? I'm not used to that happening. Um, in school, man, when I heard, I just... That was a traumatic moment for me because <laughs> when I heard that sound in the classroom, there was a really good chance it was about me. <laughs> um, where was I? The second parable, or suppose a woman has these coins and she loses one. Doesn't she turn the house upside down, searching until she finds it? What does she do when she finds it? If we, if we took the time to read it, she celebrates. Hey. I don't know if you would do that when you lose this precious coin. Like you call your friends and you call us, hey, I'm having this dinner at my house. I found my lost coin. But this is the heart of God for every one of us who's precious, who he finds, who comes home to him. All right, our final clip this morning. Uh, the only vivid memory Saru has from his childhood and from that night, that fateful night, when he gets separated from Gadu, is that the train platform, so many years earlier, when he was five, uh, it, it had a water tower next to it. And you'll see in the movie, throughout his life, he has these flashbacks and these dreams. He, he, he pictures that white water tower that night in the dark. Um, he spent so much time on Google Earth. The map on his wall, it's just, it's just consumed him. Everything else in his life has been put aside. His girlfriend, school. And it reminds me of the scripture. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek this first. Yeah, your job matters. Your relationships matter. Of course they do. God cares about these things in our lives. But when it comes to our seeking, seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, I'll stop there for the setup. This is our longest clip. Uh, I'll have a few thoughts to wrap up after we watch this. This is not the final scene, by the way. I'll save that for you to watch at home. Such a great scene. But this, in Australia, where he thinks he's found his mom. Now, back to Luke 15. 
We've looked at the first two parables of Luke 15, and it's interesting that the third is different from the first two. The first two show us our lostness from God's perspective in the tenacity of God to turn everything upside down and to leave the 99 and to sweep through the whole house until you find the lost coin, until you find that lost sheep. So much so that he sends his son to rescue us and find us. But the third parable of Luke 15, the story of the lost son, this is a parable told about our lostness from our perspective. We're going to close our morning instead of with a song. We're going to close with this third parable of Luke 15. Jesus continues as the Pharisees are questioning, why do you have such lost, broken people around you all the time? You can't possibly be from God. And Jesus is continually trying to teach the religious leaders, this is precisely why I came into the world. I came for lost people. And so as he's taking them through these series of stories, these parables, we come to this third parable. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of my estate now. Give me my inheritance now. Can you imagine? So he divided. The father did it. He divided his property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he spent everything... There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to eat and food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I'll say to him, and this is the script that we often come up with when we're ready to reconnect with God. We're ready to acknowledge our lostness, where we set our pride aside, and we say, God, I just want to be close to you. We'll script something like this. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me like one of your hired servants. Does that sound familiar? He got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. This story never gets old. I've read this story 500 times. It just always makes me emotional. The son said to him, here he goes. He's starting on the, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's as if the dad just cuts him off, interrupts him, says to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. This is, these are signs of royalty, like sonship. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they begin to celebrate. When the older brother questions, like, what are we doing I've stayed loyal to you. I've stayed faithful. I haven't squandered your money. The story ends with the father saying to that son, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the heart of our God. And if you're waiting for lightning to strike, if God loves me so much, he'll just appear to me. It's just not the way it works. In, in our lostness, acknowledging how broken we are without him. 
we must, this is what repentance is. Repentance isn't trying to be religious. Repent, the word actually means to turn and go in the opposite direction. In our lostness, in our wanting to be made whole, we turn to God and say, God, you make me complete. You define me. Your purposes, let your purposes define why I'm on earth. Use my energy and time for your, your plan. This is home. This is what you were made for. And Jesus is w- just waiting. He's waiting. He's come already. He's the one who came close to us first. So if you're looking for what to do practically, we have a CARES team that's just willing to chat and talk with you or pray with you in just a moment. Uh, you need a church home. And you're here this morning in part because I would say many of you define this as your church home. If you don't think of church as being home, but it's a place where you go and listen to, to stories about God, you need a church home. You need a community that helps you in your pursuit, your growth and faith. You need to repent. Boy, that sounds religious, but you need to turn from life in your own control, doing life your way, to I'm going to center everything about my life around you, Jesus, and what you are calling me to, what your purpose is for me. And if you want to talk to somebody, if, if you don't know how to pray that prayer, have the courage, last week, the 20 seconds of courage, have the courage to come find one of your pastors or a CARES team member and say, I think I feel lost. Could you help me? And we would love to. God, I thank you for parables. I thank you, Jesus, that you came at us not to preach at us, not to condemn us. You came with stories to show us how much you love us. And when we search for you with our whole heart, not only do we find you, we find a God who wants to celebrate that we've been found, that we've come home. God, give us the courage to step away from the American or maybe the planet Earth mindset that career success or an amount of money for retirement or a certain friend group is what defines life. May we have the courage to say I'm lost and I'm only going to be found. I'm only going to know home when I center my life around you, Jesus. I thank you for stories like this, and I thank you that you are the story, Jesus. You are the ultimate story that came into our mess. We're so grateful, God. And now may your blessing, your favor rest on the people of this church. May we walk in protection. May we walk in confidence and courage to speak your truth, to speak your love, your hope into broken situations this week, I pray. Amen.